We are joined once again by the great host of the Kim Iverson Show, Miss Kiz- Kim Iverson. How are you doing, Kim? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wanted to have you on today because, uh, well, first off, for my audience's sake, they should know that I was just on your show recently, and I hope people will go check that out. But um, obviously, we were talking a lot about Israel-Palestine, and I know that uh, not not too many years ago, you actually spent some time in Palestine, and I wanted to kind of humanize the experience and allow my audience to understand what it's like and, and why you're so passionate about this topic. So first off, can you tell me when you went, where you went, who with, et cetera? Yeah. So I was there four years ago. Uh, I, I was there October of 2019. So right before the pandemic hit, um, I what had happened was I had done some shows. At the time, there was the presidential, the 2020 presidential election coming up. And I was um, covering quite a bit of it. And I was a supporter at the time of Tulsi Gabbard. Hmm. And there was a vote in Congress about BDS. And this is one of those things where, you know, I hadn't studied the Israel-Palestinian conflict much. I knew it existed. Of course, growing up in the United States, you hear about it. You hear that there's, um, you, you know, you just hear hear about it somewhat in the news. And you just know that there's a big conflict going over there and you kind of Many of us are told it's a holy war. You know, we're just kind of told the basics and that's it. Um, when the BDS vote came up, I had to do a little bit more research into what was this vote? Why was this controversial? Because it was starting to make, um, there was a lot of uh, commotion about it online mm-hmm. in social media. People very upset with the vote saying, how could all these people in Congress vote to basically make BDS illegal or to condemn BDS as as Congress? And many people were really upset with Tulsi Gabbard for that vote. So I looked into it, um, looked into the movement a little bit, the boycott, divest, and sanction. So the movement is to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel uh, in order to pressure them into ending the apartheid. That is what the BDS. So whether you agree with that or not, I'm just giving the, sure. you know, what it is, what it is for and, and specifically to end apartheid. So I looked into it. Um, and I did a quick video on it and I, I ended up getting the worst pushback I had ever had on any of my videos. I mean, people just eviscerated me. <laughs> it was, I, I mean, I didn't realize that talking about the Israel-Palestinian conflict would be really going into, I mean, stepping, it's like kicking a hornet's nest. I really did not know it was going to be that controversial. I found that out this week too, or over yeah. the past month talking about <laughs> kicking yeah. the hornet's nest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of controversial topics, and of course, there's a lot of um, uh, co- topics that that uh, that you know it, it, people get passionate about, and then they hate each other, and they say all kinds of crazy things. But th- this one particular issue is much more so. I think the emotions are even more heightened. So I did a video on it. I don't even remember exactly, to be honest with you, what stance I took. I just remember getting a lot of pushback. I mean, people just hated me. So well, I went. Well, one thing I know is it doesn't really matter what position you take; you're going to get a lot right, of flack. Right, right, exactly. So I don't even. So it doesn't even matter which side I took on that because <laughs> you're just going to get hated no matter what, right? So I, I went dark for four days, and I was like, maybe I need to research this some more. So I did a lot of historical reading into the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, I am not Jewish. I am not an evangelical Christian, uh, which tends to be more Zionist than like Catholic Catholics, for example. I grew up Catholic and Buddhist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really didn't have any bias either way about this conflict, just really could not care. I did, uh, convert to Mormonism when I was 14 and Mormons are quite Zionist actually. Mm-hmm. 
And Mormons believe that there needs to be a return of the Jews to the Holy Land and uh, in order for the second coming of Jesus Christ and Armageddon. So Mormons tend to be pretty Zionist. But again, it's like a part of the religion that I didn't pay much attention to, to be honest. So um, I went dark. Four days later, I came back out of my cave after doing just days and days of hours and hours of research, and I made a new video. And in that, I again, I do not remember <laughs> which stance I took. It didn't matter. I got hated on, just hated on. I think I actually affirmed what I kind of originally said, which is that I do not support the BDS movement. And I still have issues with the BDS movement because I do think that the founders of BDS and the people who push it at the top, the people who are actually in charge of the movement, um, they absolutely wanted to eradicate Israel. They did not think Israel should exist at all. And at the time, I felt like, whoa, that's kind of an extreme position. And so I was against BDS because the founders, whether or not, you know, the average person thinks that when they're supporting BDS, I think the average person just thinks they want to end the occupation. They want to end apartheid. They just want to end the suffering. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, when you go to the top of any movement, you kind of have to pay attention to what they think and say, because they're going to be the ultimate ones guiding the people and guiding the movement. Right. Yeah. Black Lives so, Matter taught us that. Right. Right. So, um, I basically came out not in support of BDS. Because of that, I ended up getting an invitation from a, a Palestinian-American Christian organization here based in the United States. And they do a cultural, they were doing at the time, a cultural um, kind of expedition to Palestine where they took about 10 people to go on this trip. And it was really just to experience Palestine. It's a It's a cultural trip. It's not meant for propagandizing or anything like that. And they don't even need to propaganda. To be honest, they don't even have to say a word and they don't say a word. They don't say a word. They don't need to say a word. It's so bad over there. Mm -hmm. So I was invited on this trip and I researched the organization. They're American. I, I don't want to accept trips and going if it's um, for if a foreign country's funding it. I feel awkward about that. Sure. Um, so it, but it's an American Christian Palestinian organization. So uh, I agreed to go on this trip. I was the only journalist on the trip. There were, um, most everybody was clergy. So I, I traveled with a bunch of Episcopalian priests. <laughs> and they were sounds, a lot of fun. I was gonna so, sounds like a party. <laughs> actually, they were. <laughs> actually, those Episcopalian priests, they were like, let's go to the hookah bar every night, you know, at the right. end of our travel. And uh, they were actually really fun. Um, Did, was and, it Gaza or West Bank? West Bank. Yeah, we couldn't okay. get into Gaza. I attempted to get in, but it's a very long and difficult process to get into Gaza. You have to go through not only the Israeli government, but then Hamas as well. It takes time to get the paperwork. It's not a quick process. You need to be there for a while um, in order to get that. You know, you know, you've got to schedule like a, several weeks of being there in order to try to get access into Gaza. I would but imagine I did... that Israel, Israel probably doesn't want journalists in Gaza anyways, or am I... Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult to get in. It's difficult to get in uh, through the Israelis. Hamas is a little is easier to get through, especially if you are a journalist and you're coming in to document what's going on. Mm -hmm. They're going to let you in a lot easier. Um, but it, it is still difficult. So the I, so I ended up going on this trip and just it, it, it was a it was a combination between really seeing fun historical holy sites for all three major Abrahamic religions. Um, and it was also a combination of then seeing the refugee camps, this, the UN schools, the um, going through checkpoints, Hebron, 
um, just seeing things. And of course, we did go into Tel Aviv. We went into the Israeli side and Jerusalem, both sides, the Jewish Jewish side and the Palestinian side. Um, we went to Arab neighborhoods inside of Israel. So these would be Israeli Palestinians, so is Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. Right. We went and met with them. We we went went and met with members of the Knesset of um, mm -hmm. the Arab League in the Knesset. So the Palestinian leaders. Um, That's basically it, Israel's parliament, right? It's Israel's parliament, yeah. And they do have quite a few Palestinians who are in the parliament. They're not a majority. They don't have any real voting power. They're just there to make some ruckus and to say they don't like certain things. That's really the only power they have. Um, we also met with the the governments of Palestine. So the actual, not Hamas, obviously not because that's in Gaza and we didn't go to Gaza, but for the, the actual West Bank, which is the PLO. So we met with members of the Palestinian government, um, met with members of the Knesset, met with children in uh, both the Arab schools inside of Israel and the UN schools and inside of, and just Palestinian schools went to villages. Did, did you meet Floated with, uh, in the Dead Sea, rode camels. <laughs> I, I assume you didn't meet with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of Palestine, right? Not, no, not Abbas, um, but the, the mayor of Ramallah. And I don't even remember, honestly, it was like, there were so many people. We, we also met with a lot of business owners, the the um, several business owners in Palestine trying to build businesses. Most of them were American citizens. Hmm. So these were American citizens who had come back to Palestine in order to build after the Oslo Accords, thinking that there would be hope and the ability for prosperity. And so a lot of these were um, Palestinians that had fled to the United States. And then when the Oslo Accords happened, they, there was a big boon of hope and a lot of Palestinians went back. Um, a lot of them that I met, the, they were young when they came to the United States or even they were born in the United States. So their parents right. were the actual refugees who had left in the 60s. And then they were born shortly after, or maybe they were really young. And then they were in Palestine building, they had hotels, they had telecom communication companies, restaurants. So I met with a lot of those business owners to talk to them about what life was like from a, as an American with an American citizenship, American mm -hmm. passports. So it was a really diverse, um, uh, met with Jews inside of Palestine. These are not, um, not the settlers that live in the settlements, but actual Palestinian Jews who never immigrated in, they're Arab, they're Palestinian, they're Jewish, and they live inside of the West Bank. Um, we went to a lot of Christian churches. There's a lot of, and a Christian holy sites like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and um, a lot of the Christian holy sites because it was a Christian group and I was with a bunch of evangelical priests. I mean, um, uh, sure, sure. Is it, yeah, not evangelical priests. What's the Episcopalian? Yeah. Right. So I was with a bunch of Episcopalian priests. So we went and met with uh, like the Archbishop of the Episcopalian Church there in Jerusalem. Um, so it was a it was a really interesting. We did go to mosques. We did go to Al Aqsa Mosque. Um, we were allowed inside, which is very rare to be allowed inside. We were allowed in, and and a, an Italian delegation of diplomats from Italy were also there, and they were touring the mosque as well. So it's a very rare thing to be let in when you're not Muslim. Well, that that's kind of a. Uh iconic site now i mean maybe yes. it was maybe it was then as well but now because of the al-aqsa flood uh being the name of this operation from hamas i, I want to ask you real quick about the 
experience the i don't think most people in the west are even aware that there are jewish people that you know voluntarily live in palestine uh not not the settlers but those that like literally never left uh, right. i think i think that that would be surprising to my audience uh what's their experience like is are they persecuted or is it are they accepted no they're accepted um they are arab they're living their families have been there for thousands of years i would assume and they just chose not to go along with the Zionist project. They felt like um, their home was with the Palestinians, that they were Palestinian. Their religion is Jewish. And they, they're, I mean, I met these kids, they were playing basketball in a big, like a YMCA style uh, place. Mm-hmm. And they were playing basketball with Muslim Palestinian kids and Christian Palestinian kids. And it was all three groups just playing basketball at like a YMCA. And we got to pull them aside and kind of chat with them a little bit and and get their experience. And the Jewish kids told me, you know, we're not, there's not very many of us, right? Like they said, we're a real tiny group, but we exist, we're here and we're happy and we're fine. Interesting. Um, So, yeah. It was, uh, I don't know if you've seen the news, but a few hours ago, uh, allegedly, uh, with everything I talk about this, if it's this recent of news, just assume that I'm saying allegedly, because we don't know the truth at this right. point, but allegedly there was an assassination attempt against the, uh, right. the head of the, uh, you know, the the president of Palestine, Mahmoud right. Abbas. Abbas. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, based off of what I saw a few days prior to that, it was actually Hamas that had been uh, putting out a, a letter threatening right. that essentially if the PLO or the PA doesn't declare war, I think that's what they were demanding, declare war against Israel, that then they would view him as a puppet of Israel and then they would attack yeah. him. So is that kind of your assessment at this point? Yeah, did, it's probably that? Palestinians that were trying to assassinate yeah. him. I can't imagine Israelis doing that. I think it was probably from within. That's what um, I thought too. But I will say that when I was over there, there was a lot of frustration with the from the Palestinian people about their government, just like we have about ours. Mm-hmm. You know, we we believe our government is crooked, corrupt, that the, peop- the people at the top are bought off. They're just, I mean, they feel the same way about their government. They feel yeah. let down by their government. They feel that Israel is the oppressor, for sure. There's no doubt about that in any Palestinian's mind, be they Muslim, Christian, or Jew. They are, they are united very clearly in the fact that Israel is their occupier, is, Israel is their oppressor. But they also say their government isn't helping. I, yeah. I think they're right. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so obviously, since you weren't able to get into Gaza, did, were you able to talk to any people to get an idea of how how much worse the conditions were? Or I mean, yeah. for, first off, how were the conditions in the West Bank? I, I you've already described, you know, what it was like. But is the I know that in in Gaza the poverty is you know backbreaking. Is it as bad in the West Bank? In parts, it's really bad. In the West Bank, it's just as bad in Gaza and some in some parts of the West Bank. Um, it is, by and large, very, very poor, very difficult to, you know, like they don't have running water. So they they have, they get running water three days a week. They have these giant tanks on top of their buildings that they have to fill with water for the days that they don't get running water. So it's very limited. You can tell when you're in the hotel the day the running the water is running and the day that the water is coming from the tank because of the pressure that is coming out of your shower that day wow um there's uh so it's it's very poor it's very um the history is very rich so it's really fascinating and amazing to be there just for the history the people are very nice i was uh, i stayed in ramallah so my hotel was in the west bank the first night we stayed in jerusalem 
um, at the actually at the um, Episcopalian Orthodox their their church. They have like a a hotel attached to the ancient church in Jerusalem, hmm. and we stayed there the first night. And then the rest of the nights we were in Ramallah, which is the de facto capital of Palestine. It's a very um, for being poor metropolitan. The hotel was swanky and modern and had cool restaurants. And um, and as a woman, you know, uh, going around Palestine, I did not need to cover up. I didn't. I, I of course, I dressed more, you know, modest because sure. I'm in a modest conservative country, just like I would if I were going to visit grandma, you know, or something, <laughs> right, grandma right. and grandpa. But um, so, but I didn't have to cover up. Only when I was going into the mosque, of course, and actually. The group that made us cover up the most were the Greek Orthodox at the Greek Greek Orthodox <laughs> Church. I mean, they they were strict. I mean, they didn't. They made the men cover up. It was yeah. the women and the men had to cover up. Cover them the ankles, Orthodox. Job. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> well, uh, just quick question for you, because you know, I'm not I'm not very religious myself. I would say I'm agnostic. Uh, but this is the Holy Land that you are in. Uh, yeah. Can you can you feel anything? Does it feel as if it's something? ancient and special or is it just like ancient and unique because it's so ancient it's it's unique and ancient because it's ancient that's okay. that was my feeling i i didn't have some special and i've actually been very religious throughout my life i like i said i grew up catholic and buddhist um from both of my parents being a mixed race person and then um i converted to mormonism and i was very very active in the mormon church for 15 years i was very i proselytized for the church i've read the bible like 11 times Wow. Um, so I, I, I went to, I completed and graduated through seminary. So I went through entire religious studies and education. Wow. So I was very, very, um, religious for a really long time and really fascinated by the history of all of it and scriptures and really diving in deep into religion. And I have my degree in philosophy and it was like philosophy and religion. So it's just, but yeah, I didn't feel like the Holy spirit and God and like, <laughs> you know, I didn't have. Well, like, the, wow. The, the reason I ask is because, you know, there's just been so much fighting uh, over the past, you know, 70 years, but uh, really vicious fighting in recent history, you know, during my lifetime. And it's just so sad to me. And I'm like, I just hope that if they're going to fight over this holy land, that it actually is holy. Because, you know, from, right, from, right. From, from my vantage point, like when I see all of these children dying. Um, yeah. That doesn't strike me as being in accordance with God's will. And and I think that's what disturbs me most about this is you're fighting for your religious beliefs. Both sides allegedly are doing so. Um, and yet in in light of that, you just see absolute destruction of innocent people. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you read the Bible, that's actually par for the course. I know it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, this is just the history of that region as people are constantly being slaughtered and fall into evil and back to good and back to evil and, you know, whatever. Um, it, it was very fascinating. I mean, it was really, of course, fascinating to tour the sites. It's like I, I lived in Italy for a period of time and went to Rome, the Vatican, and and went and saw the sites of the Vatican. And it's like really fascinating to see. But yeah, I'm not like hit with, wow, this is definitely a holy site that we should all be massacring each other over. <laughs> right. um, there were some really interesting things I discovered. Like, for example, the Christian sites are maintained by Muslims. So it was mm -hmm. the Muslims that maintained the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, for example, because the churches, there were like seven churches, seven Christian churches from Greek Orthodox Catholics, um, you know, Syrian Orthodox. There was all these different factions that would fight over the Church of Holy Sepulchre several hundred years ago. And the king at the time, who was 
Muslim said, oh, you guys are going to kill each other and you're going to burn this place down, you know, if we don't Mm -hmm. do something to step in. So the Muslims stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to manage this and maintain this for you guys. So the king gave this set of keys to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where Christ was killed. It's where the cross, it's the site on top of the, the where the cross. Today's episode is once again brought to you by our favorite shaver in the world, NadeauShaveCo.com. That's N-A-D-E-A-U, ShaveCo.com. Stainless steel, you can minimize ingrown hairs, cut down on razor burn and irritation with their 100% recyclable plastic-free razors. Veteran-owned, family-operated, best razor I have ever used. Not an exaggeration. Enjoy your shave. N-A-D-E-A-U, shaveco.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. Get yourself 15% off and get yourself the best razor in the game. NadeauShaveco.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. Get one today. Uh, they, uh, anyway, they gave the, the keys to the two Palestinian families and said, you guys are just going to have to maintain this. And to this day, those Palestinian families, those two Palestinian families still maintain the holy sites. And it's the Palestinians who maintain like Bethlehem. It's the Palestinians who maintain these Christian holy sites. They care more about Christian holy sites than Jews do just by nature of their religion. If you study Islam versus Judaism, you'll find that Islam actually um, values Christ and the mother Mary quite a bit. Jesus, they don't think he's the Christ, but they value Jesus. And and actually Mary is the only woman named in the Quran and she has an entire chapter just dedicated to her. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they, they're very, very, for them, Jesus is an incredibly important figure. The Mother Mary was an incredible important figure. They do believe Jesus is coming back um, as, as part of the, you know, we'll be fighting in the battles. Um, mm-hmm. So they really, really, they, so they, they, they have an invested interest in maintaining the holy sites for the Christians. And it is the Palestinians who are doing that more That's, so than. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean that that it makes perfect sense based off of their their belief systems but what what doesn't make sense to me is why the American Christians by and large stand on the side of the people that don't care so much about their holy sites it's uh Right. Right. Well that is you know that's that's a couple of reasons first of all because of the the um end of times prophecies Right. Where they believe that Jews need to return to the Holy Land in order to have the Battle of Armageddon, which then would signify the, the second coming of Jesus and their marching into the millennium of peace. So there's sort of this, um, you know, we, we need them to return. We need them to return. And we need yeah. that third holy temple to be built, the Solomon's temple to be built so that Christ can come back. So there's this motivating factor um, trying to get the the second coming. But there's also, you know, just as an agnostic, I really don't like that. <laughs> yeah, not, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want Armageddon. Can we not have that, please? And not only that, but it's it's really um, it, it's narcissistic, or I don't know what the right word is to think that we can control it, right? To think yeah. that humans can that can, if you believe, let's say, if if let's just say it's going to happen, that this sure. is factual, God is coming back, Christ is coming back, the second coming's happening. What makes a person, a human being, believe that they have the ability to like affect that change? Sure. To like yeah. force what it. Happened, it's like, what wouldn't God be the will? one? Yeah. Right, right. Like God would do it, not you. <clears throat> so it's really sort of, you know, that that idea that we can we can create this by making sure the Jews return to the Holy Land. 
Um, but again, as somebody who studied deep scripture for a very long time, I've got a lot of disputes on that. I, I, sure. God never said, you know, if you believe in any of this, and I don't really, I mean, sometimes I think maybe, and then sure. I, I'm, I'm more into the, um, Pascal's wager where I'm like, oh, you know what? It's better for you to believe and that, and then if there's no God and no heaven, then man, what did you, you know, what did you have to lose? You know, you're just sure. dirt in the ground. But if there is a God in a heaven and you don't believe and you end up in hell, <laughs> yeah, that's like that's, not a good outcome. <laughs> yeah, the, the risk reward is definitely lopsided right. towards belief. Right. So you might um, as well believe. But, you know, there's there's a, when God when the promise was given to Abraham and his seed, it was to it was for his seed. There was nothing in the scripture that says and they must be Jewish. They must be practicing Judaism. Mm -hmm. It's very specific that it is your lineage, your actual seed. And there's a lot of um, genetic testing. You know, in Israel, genetic testings, you cannot do it. 23andMe, Ancestry, all that's banned. Why is it banned? Because they don't want people to find out the truth that most of them are not actual genetic Jews. They are converts from, you know, maybe 500 years after Christ or six, sure, 700 sure. years or 1,000 years or even recent converts. Right. Um, and so they don't even allow genetic testing to happen in Israel like like here, we can go get an Ancestry.com test. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. So, so you know, when you look at genetically where the Jews are from the, the people that fled that area that were expelled or the great Jewish exodus, a lot of the genetic data shows that a lot of them ended up with the Roman Empire in Italy. A lot of the Italians are now genetic Jews. A lot of the Armenians are genetic Jews. A lot of the Turks are genetic Jews. Today, they're Catholics, they're, Mus they're Muslims, right. maybe some of them are Jewish, right? But if you actually <laughs> study the Bible and believe it, then the lineage is not, it's it's by lineage, it's by actual birth, right? It's not by, I, th I say I'm Jewish, my family converted a thousand years after the death of Christ, so therefore I inherit this land. That is actually not the promise. Yeah, yeah, that's, well then, <laughs> the entire <clears throat> the entire premise of this fight seems, uh, a little bit screwed up. Well, and, and I think that the the entire fight itself is pretty lopsided and screwed up at this point. Right. I, I I would imagine having been there and having you know walked amongst the Palestinians firsthand, uh, this carries uh, added gravity that I I probably can't even relate to. Well, uh, you know, have you ever been to Italy? Uh, I've been to Spain. I skipped Italy, but I've okay, been to okay. around that okay. area. Um, they, the Palestinians, when I was there, it was, it was definitely, look, I was afraid before I left, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the West Bank. I don't know. Like as a woman, do I have to cover up all the time? Am I going to be, you know, oppressed in some way? You know, I had all of the same thinking. I think that we see on social media, what the average person thinks when they think of the Middle East and being a woman traveling and unmarried woman, you know, even worse. Um, you weren't caned. I wasn't caned. And in <laughs> fact, um, it, it was a very different experience than I, 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 I just came out with like, it was eye opening. The Palestinian people, very warm, very generous, would give you the shirt off their back. I mean, they are just the nicest, most generous, warm people. They were very, very, very similar to Italians. I was very surprised by that. I was, I, it was like their cousins. I mean, these, they, which <laughs> actually they might be. Yeah, they might actually be cousins. Genetically, we find out that Italians are, a lot of them were the exodus from, from that region. 
Um, and so they were just, they reminded me of Italians where they were warm and generous and they had big personalities, a lot of them, and they could get mad, you know, like an Italian. If you try yeah, locking yeah. an Italian up in a, in a, in a zone and saying, you're not allowed to leave and we're not going to give you, uh, all the resources you need. And we're only going to give you limited water and limited internet. When I was there, they had just barely received 3G, oh. um, just so the internet didn't really work well. It was difficult to upload. I had to spend all night uploading. I made sure to upload all of my footage to the cloud because I knew that the Israelis would potentially get my phone and delete everything. They do that um, regularly when you're coming in and out of the country. Their security is very tight. I did meet in my hotel a group of doctors from uh, maybe Doctors Without Borders. It was just some organization, but these doctors were... Christian, American, blonde, blue-eyed doctors that were here, that were in uh, the West Bank from like South Carolina, somewhere on the East Coast, either South or North Carolina. And they, at the time, there were these big protests that would go on on Friday nights in Gaza. There's actually a, it's it's a well-known, uh, I forgot the, the name of it, but there were these, it's this documented um, protesting that had gone on in 2018 and 2019 and on Friday nights, these kids would go to the, it was a peaceful protest. So when people say, well, why don't the Gazans try peaceful protests? Well, they tried that and they got shot at. Yep. So these kids would show up at the border fence on Friday nights in Gaza and they would protest the, the blockade against them. And they would be shot at by IDF soldiers that would just sit on a perch and just pop off, you know, and, and blow off their hand or blow off or, or get, you know, target their eyes. Oof. And these doctors would go... And they would volunteer to help give medical treatment to these Gazan kids. So they had just come back from Gaza and they were telling me about it. And they were these doctors in their, you know, 50s or 60s, older doctors just doing this. Uh, they do it. They said that they come once a year, it, that it, the group brings a bunch of different doctors and they take turns and that their particular group comes out once a year. So, um, they were like, would you like to see photos? You know, they said Gaza, they, they stayed in a nice hotel in Gaza, like nice for what, for a poor place. You know, it's not, sure. it's nothing fancy, but they said that they, there's restaurants in Gaza, there's hotels in Gaza. So very similar to the West Bank, but that it's very poor. It's very desolate that the people have no resources that you can't get. There's a lot of things you can, for example, when I was meeting with the members of the Knesset in the, um, the Arab League. The member I had met with had personally advocated the government to allow macaroni and crayons into Gaza, saying, you know, how are you claiming that macaroni, cookies, crayons, and chips are somehow going to be used to make bombs? Yeah. You know, you're, paraphernalia. You're, <laughs> right. You're clearly just targeting children. You're just trying to make children miserable so that they grow up to hate you. And then when they hate you, they enact violence. And then you can say, ah, there you go. There you go again. Right. Being violent, you little brat. And then yeah, you can take animals, the land. Right. Little us. animals. Right. So they were they were doing things purposefully to make these children's lives miserable in order to get them to grow up to hate Israel. So um, that's pretty sick. It is very. Yeah, it's a it's a strategy. It's a long term strategy and it's working. I mean, it, you know, to Netanyahu's credit, I suppose his plan has worked. In a well, lot of ways. Just to steel man the Israeli argument, the reason that they, they will claim that they have the blockade is because of Hamas and because of terrorism, and they have to be able to control whatever goes in. Um, where, I've, where I struggle to understand that rationale is 
okay, but you're also blockading what goes out, which means that their economy will never function. And if, if you're going to do that and then claim, well, these people can't provide for themselves. Yeah, sure, we give them water. Sure, we give them electricity, but they ought to be doing it. It's like, well, you're not allowing them to, to establish a real economy. You blockade right. everything that comes in and out. Uh, it seems once again to fall into the, the plan aspect well, of trying and to destroy them. They also need permits, like even inside the West Bank, which is supposed to be Palestinian territory and inside Gaza, they have to have permits to build anything from right. the Israelis. Yeah, so the Isra they, they're not a sovereign nation. No. You know, they're not sovereign in any way, shape or form. They don't control their water, their ports, their air. They don't have airspace. They can't have a military. That's why Hamas has to hide because, right. they're you know, they can't have an open base somewhere. Israel's going to blow it up. They're not allowed a lot of things. And they so then to say. Well, they need to be building their own water infrastructure. Israel won't give them the permits to build the water infrastructure. Oh, interesting. So how can you say it's up to them to build the water, the water, you know, what they need for running water when you won't give them the permits to build it? If you do give them the permits to build it, which takes years for the Palestinians to get a permit, whereas in Israel it takes a week, um, they then limit the supplies so that you're not able to build because you don't get the right materials that you need. And I know that from... When I came back shocked, and I mentioned how shocked I was on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page to just my friends and family, and I had a lot of Mormons on my page that are very supportive of Israel, and be, there's mm -hmm. a BYU Jerusalem, and you know Mormons are very supportive of the Zionist cause. I mean, in Utah, it's Zion's Bank, Zion everywhere. Okay, right. so I had a lot. Of, I had a, a, some Mormon friends reach out and say, you know. And Mormons are often into very humanitarian missions, and they do, they go on missions for the church, and then a lot of them go into into service. You know, they like doing service. And so, one of them was an engineer, and he actually got hooked up with an organization that would go over to the West Bank and try to build water infrastructure for the Palestinians in the West Bank. And he said he went over there thinking Israel's the good guys; these guys are all terrorists, right? He had that mentality. And then he said what he saw over there changed his life. And he is so disgusted by Israel. Everybody I know that goes over there comes back disgusted with Israel. I don't know anybody who goes over there and says they deserve it. These people are terrorists. This is just, you know, it's their fault. Nobody says that. Everybody who goes over there, no matter their bias, comes out and says, what the hell is going on? This yeah. is sick. This is sick. It is stuff we've read about in history books with from Nazi Germany. And now we're seeing this you know, it happened, they're using very similar tactics on these, on these people. And he said that he would have engineers out there trying to, you know, they've got, they finally got the permit. He said it took him forever to get the permit. They finally got the permit to build. So they went out there to survey the area in order to build what they needed to build. And they would get shot at by the IDF engineers that had no weapons. They were just civil people, engineers, just trying to build water infrastructure Wow. And they'd be shot out by the IDF. And so he said, ultimately, they tried for nine months to, to get the project going, and they ultimately could not get it going. And that is what happens. So they don't, it's not their fault that they can't. And, and the uh, American Palestinian I met with who owns the telecom company, big, rich guy, and, you know, as rich as you could be in Palestine, <laughs> you know, the biggest, you know, one of the biggest business owners. Um, and he he does business regularly with Israelis and Israel, and you know he's an American with no you know speaks English, no accent. Born in, I think born in Ohio, and um, you know he was describing to me that as an American, he had the most difficult time just trying to get infrastructure to build telecom. 
They don't allow it. He said one time him and a buddy, his friend in Israel, a Jewish Israeli, they have similar businesses and he's friends with them. And he said that the guy, they both ordered supplies at the same time from the same company and the supplies would come into the same port in Israel and they would need this for their company. And he said that his buddy got the supplies in three weeks. It took him three years before the Israelis would let him have the supplies. Yeah. Well, I, so, I, wonder, I wonder why their economy doesn't function. You know, right. They can, you can't mystery. function like that. Exactly. So they shut down like the universities, the kids. I went to the universities in Palestine and talked to the students. The students are always way more radical. <laughs> you know, students are always mm -hmm. radical. So sure. you talk to the students, you're always like, well, okay, okay, okay. You guys have some pretty radical ideas of what you think, you know, should happen. And, and I never heard ever from any of them exterminate Jews, get kill them all. I never heard any of that over there in Palestine. I definitely heard a variety of ideas of what the solution should be from um, most Palestinians want a two-state solution. They want their own homeland that they control. Um, some of them want, but these are more radical. They want from river to sea, Palestine, right? So we hear they want it to be Palestinian controlled. And they think that Israel should no longer exist as a Jewish nation that has that puts Jewish people and Jewish people's rights and determination above other groups of people. An ethno state. Right. They don't want do, the ethno state. Do they? Do they uh, allow? Will they permit the Jewish people from Israel to still live in Palestine, or are they? Would it? Would it be a reverse ethnic cleansing where they try and push them out? I'm the vast majority that I, for, for, first of all, the vast majority I spoke to want a two-state solution, but okay. the ones that don't, the ones that want the, the return all the way to the 1947 borders, uh, so most want to return to the 1967 borders, but the ones that want to go all the way back to like 1948 before Israel was created, sure. there's a, a variety in opinion there, but the vast majority uh, that I spoke to of the minority in that group anyway said no if they want to stay they can stay they just have to you know they they that it's they wouldn't be the majority they wouldn't be able to control things so right it, but there were some that said well they should just go back to where they came from a lot of them are refuge there a lot of them are immigrants here anyway and so 30 yeah, percent of, of them are yeah i think it's like 30 percent right now who are actually born somewhere else oh that's it. Um, wow at this point we're 75 years in Oh, you know? well, that's true. Yeah. So you mean second generation would still. Right. Okay. Right. I got you. So they, so there was a variety there, but the vast majority um, just want the 1967 borders returned. Yeah. And they want then Israel to no longer control. They want sovereignty. So they want to be able to have, build an airport. They can't do that. They want to be able to control their water, their infrastructure, have a military, you know, have all the things that they would need to be a sovereign nation. And they're not given that at all. And it was absolutely depressing being over there and getting to know these people and seeing that they're human, that they are loving, wonderful people, no different than anyone else. And they are being humiliated daily. Going through the checkpoints is a daily humiliation for grown men who are good grown men who have never fought in their lives and they're subjected to daily humiliation. They're treated like, uh, like they're dirty, like, well, because they don't have running water every day. So they're made dirty. They're kept dirty so that they, so that the Israelis could point at them and say, well, you're filthy, you stink, you know, right. you people can't progress. Like, look at you. Um, well, see, this is what frustrates the hell out of me is like, as an American man, I, I just put myself in their shoes. I just go like, well, yeah. 
what if I had to go through a fucking checkpoint every day? And what if I only had running water twice a week? And what if I had electricity that was only on half the day? Right. Uh, I, that may not be the case in the West Bank, but I've read about that being the case. In Gaza. It happens a lot in the West Bank. In Gaza, it's four hours a day. I think they yeah, then they, they limited it more. But in the West Bank, it wasn't it wasn't all the time either. But just I mean, all it takes is just for you to view them as yourself and you automatically understand why this is so fucked up. Right. But like it's still somehow the vast majority of American Christians still don't see them that way. They still just they go like, well, they I, I honestly like I keep coming back to this. They have to view them as lesser. That's the only way that you can accept their treatment and come yep. away going, this is OK. Because right. it's obviously not okay. Because if it was happening to you, you'd be radicalized. You'd be marching in the street. You'd Very be quickly. shouting 2A, you know, yeah. all that. <laughs> Very quickly. I, I don't know if Americans, Americans would radicalize much faster than I think the Palestinians did. Yeah. You know, it took them until like, what, 1988 for Hamas to form. Right. Uh, just looking at how the U.S., how many Americans handled the pandemic, right, where the government said you're not allowed to leave your house. You know, yeah. you're locked down. Five years, we would have had full-on militia rebellion. Yeah, exactly. We would have had full-on militia saying, we're not taking this crap anymore. We're getting out there and we're going we're gonna to fight for our freedom. Oh. That is what anybody would have done, I think, with an American mentality because we value our freedom. A lot of these Palestinians were born now in this occupation. They were sure. born in this in this situation. And so they don't know any different. Um, and it's, so the fact, it, the fact that they are rebelling now shows how, how you know, untenable this situation is that, like, even even not knowing true freedom, they're still like, this is so bad, we have to do something. Yeah, they have internet. I mean, they do see, especially in right. Gaza now, those young kids see how the rest of the world lives. And they see that they're not able to have any of that. They have no opportunity. In Gaza, What when you're a young man in that, in that area, what are you going to grow up to be? You know, they don't even have job opportunities. They don't give yeah. them education. They don't, they, there's Over nothing for them to unemployment. do. Yeah, they, there's nothing for them to do. And half of more than half of them end up in jail because the Israelis in the West Bank, the Israelis, they, they just they will arrest everybody. And they won't even because it's military occupation, they don't have to give you charges. They just can arrest right. you and hold you for days because it's considered a, a matter of national security. So they're able to do this for everything. They can bulldoze anything they want. So, you know, they, there's a mixture of what's going on over there. I don't categorize it as apartheid. Um, I categorize it as military occupation. That's what it is right now. Apartheid at least has, apartheid would be better because apartheid would give them laws, actual legal, you know, a, a basic law, a constitution that the government would have to adhere to. It might be an unfair one where it's like Jews over here and Palestinians over here, but it would still be based on laws. What yeah, they're subject to right now. to some extent. Right. Yeah. Right now, military occupation, there's none. So yeah. the military can change the rules whenever they feel like it. They can decide something is illegal when it's not. I watched young school kids that were just walking around with their backpacks, with their school books, and IDF soldiers would stop them and they would go through their bag with their gun, you know, with the they just like with the barrel. Wow. Yeah. And then they would come on the buses that we were traveling on and they would be there with their fingers, you know, on the trigger, like looking at us. I mean, it was traumatizing. To have them come on the bus and just look around and then we'd all wave our American passports and they'd be like, oh, OK. Um, and just the we as Americans barely experienced it. We watched it. We didn't have to go through it daily. I couldn't 
imagine having being subject to that daily. I know right now from the people that I know in Palestine, they're telling me that the kids are having to get up at three o'clock in the morning to make it through checkpoints to get to 8 a.m. class. Like that's what they're dealing with right now. That's so their incredible. lives are made very difficult. They can't get medical treatment when they need medical treatment. The women are being forced to have babies in their cars because they can't get to the hospital because of the checkpoints. Uh, or they're denied cancer treatments to get to the hospital. Um, American, pal the, 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 the starkest understanding, what, what really shines the light on the issue over there is meeting Christian Palestinians and American Palestinians. Because people can say all day, well, it's jihad, it's Islam, it's a, it's a radical religion that breeds hate and violence, right? We hear this all the time as the excuse. And that's why, and this that's the fundamental root of the issue. But I spent more of my time with the Christian Palestinians and the American Palestinians. And when you see that they also are subject to the exact same treatment, mm then you realize it's not about Islam. It's not about jihad. It is literally about taking the land. They just do not want the, they believe the land is theirs. It's the home of the Jews. They want to recreate the kingdom of Israel. And these people need to go back to Jordan. That's their stance on it. Go to Egypt, go to Jordan, get out of here. Go to Syria, go anywhere, don't be here. So the Americans, when you go there with an American passport, you have free reign to travel all around Israel. You can go to Tel Aviv. You can fly in and out of the out of the airport. You can go anywhere you want. You have freedom of movement as an American inside of Israel. You actually have more freedom of movement than an Israeli. As an American, you have a little bit more freedom of movement because you can actually go into Palestine, into Zone A. It's against Israeli law, not Palestinian law. It's against Israeli law for Israeli Jews to travel into area A uh, inside Palestinian control. They have these red signs all over the freeway that um, says, do not enter here. It's illegal for you to enter here and your life would be put at risk. It's meant to make, to breed fear. So there's this, um, they've kept the people very separated and now they've taught all Jews, Palestinians wanna kill you. The Arabs are wanting to kill you. And they put these big red signs up on the side of the road saying, if you go there, you're gonna get killed. And then they tell they they breed fear and hate in the Palestinians by having IDF soldiers around all the time pointing guns in their faces. Right. So but you've the, got these, these yeah these people are both, that both very very human reactions on both sides. But it's like it's based off of a faulty reality. Right. It's based on a faulty reality. So I mean, there is definitely you know now it's true. Now oh, they yeah, all yeah. hate each other. Of course, well, of right? Course. Now but I mean, why? But I'm saying it's kind of a construct that that created this circumstances, and it's just so right. tragic. I guess. I've I've already taken way more of your time than I intended to. Um, is it is it able to be unwound? Can can this actually be solved in a peaceable fashion? Because after you know what was it uh, October sixth or seventh, uh, and now the ten thousand. I mean, for my audience is not aware, it's at least ten thousand uh, that have been killed in in uh, in Gaza. Probably approximately half of which are innocent kids. Yeah, uh, it's I just don't know how you can, like, get past that that uh, amount of bloodshed and, and injury, spiritual and otherwise. Yeah. There is a way it, it, it we're running out of time They're They're definitely running out of time. And the reason is because the older generation of both Jews and Arabs remember a time when they were friends. They mm. they're those people are still alive. 
So they will say, you know, the, the people in their 60s, the people in their 70s will say, I have Jewish friends. We were friendly. We worked together. We dined together. We, you know, we did all of these things together. They remember a time prior to when it became really apparent to the Palestinian people that the government of Israel was never going to let them have their own land, that it was all just lip service. Um, yeah. The Oslo Accords were junk. They were lip service. Because the Oslo Accords were, okay, we agree that someday you'll have your own nation, right. Right? and we're going to keep talking about it. And then in the meantime, Israel just kept expanding settlements, expanding, you know, and, and encroaching on the land that was supposed to be what they would eventually have. So it was obvious to the Palestinians that there was never really a good faith actual attempt at uh, giving them a, a, a two-state solution. And Netanyahu made that very clear from the very beginning when he got in there. Rabin was mat was was uh, assassinated. assassinated. You know, the, yeah. so the, the, there was no real desire for this. But so once the Palestinian people realized that, and this is like what Hamas says. Hamas says we've tried all the negotiating. This is in their charter. They say, we've we've tried all the negotiating. We've done all of that. The only way to do this now is violent, is war. We just have to wage war. That's the only way we're going to get our land back. And that's in their charter. Um, they, so, they, but, but before that, when there was actual hope, there were friendships that were cultivated. There was human, humanness. But the right. kids now, anybody under the age of like 40 doesn't know that. Anybody under the age of 40 just knows hate, fear, right. separation. Well, and, and 20 years from now, there'll be nobody that right. remembers it. Right. Um, and that's I what mean, I mean. They're running out of time. So they yeah. could potentially work this out and, and go back to that. It would be very difficult. There would be um, – there's a need, I think, for an international – as much I don't want this because I don't want us to spend more money and energy on it. But um, there is a real need – and I don't think America should do it anyway. So I don't think we should be involved. I think it should be the countries that are surrounding that area, Russia, perhaps, you know, countries that are actually there right. um, to go in and do like an international force that actually takes over and helps govern the West Bank and Gaza. And with no Israelis there, ban the IDF entirely. Do not let a single one of them in. Have an international force of like, uh, the Turks and the Russians. Yeah, yeah, like the, maybe the Turks and the Russians could do it because they're respected and liked by um, by the Palestinians. That, I tend to agree with you. I think that, that uh, you know, it's not a perfect solution, obviously, but it, it may be the best thing we can hope for at this point because obviously the IDF's policing of these people has been anything but. It has been, uh, you know, very, very force-oriented and has, right. uh, has obviously bred a lot of anger and and righteous anger like i would not i i just keep going back to like yeah if i i'm 40 years old if i spent all 40 years there uh you know living and dealing with what they've had to deal with i would be very very radicalized and, yeah yeah you know it's not it's not to excuse what hamas did at all uh but you still have to understand the rationale it's like yeah i've been abused for fucking <laughs> decades right. dude like, right. this is awful i'm gonna do something dramatic just because i can't bear my current circumstances and and it just seems as if most people are not willing to i, I know it's very unpopular to to do this to go like well why why would they do it but it's the same thing i did with al-qaeda it's the same thing i do anytime i see people that are driven to the brink of you know uh suicide bombing and terrorist activity that's like these people are are willing to risk it all. Like why? And and I think the problem is in the West because they're so unaware of their 
of their circumstances of their life, they go, ah, Islam. They're Muslims. Right. They're crazy. They just think 72 virgins, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure, I'm sure for some, you know, some of them, that's probably true. I don't know. Um, but I think by and large, if you just set that aside, you could still understand why someone would get to that position. Yeah, I, we're all human at the end of the day. And so there's no um, human that is lesser than in that in that instinct or better than in that instinct. I think we can all reach that point depending on the situation. And I, uh, I know that if my children were killed, I would probably be fighting yeah, back no in any way that I, you know, and that goes on both sides. I understand the anger from the Israelis, what happened. Exactly. I can understand that they would want to rise up and have some sort of something must be done, you know, go in and, and, and now, but then when, you, when there's something that, so you, you, so your eight-year-old gets killed and so you go to them and you grab their eight-year-old and kill their eight-year-old. And then you see that they've got five other kids and you kill all of the kids. Like that's not going to, that's not going to solve the situation. You've now just made it 10 times worse. Right. Well, because and, and now the say, other say side they wants have, to. They have, uh, you know, there's six kids, three of them get killed. The other three, 12 years from now are going to be armed to the teeth and coming yeah. for you. I mean, right. and this is this is the cycle of violence that we've been in for a very long time, and it's only going to get worse. And and I just it breaks my heart that um, you know we're not we're not having any real conversations about how to resolve this, as opposed to just, well, Clint, we have to fucking flatten Gaza. Like that's the whole right. answer. And it's just it's just so crazy to me that people are 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 genuine. Like there's a huge percentage of Americans that are completely okay with the fact that a million kids are either going to be killed or forced from their homes. And they're like, well, they believe in a different God. You know, they, they hate Jewish people. And I'm like, is it really that simple to you? Do you honestly think that's all there is to this? Yeah. And I think a lot of people just, they really don't understand any of it. It's well, crazy. again, it's also human nature, unfortunately. I mean, we all kind of looked at the Holocaust and thought maybe that was a blip in humanity, but it isn't. It's, it's actually yeah. in, it's bred into all of us just by virtue of being humans, I guess, to have that. Because we even saw that during the pandemic. We saw that during 2016 with Trump. Yep. How many Americans were genuinely ready to just rid the country of Trump voters? And they would have done anything to do it. Blow up Alabama. If that's what it takes, get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there were uh, a lot of people that had that feeling. They were so angry. They felt like Trump voters were so dangerous, fundamentally dangerous that you would have to do something violently in order to correct that mentality, that there was no other way. And the same thing with um, with the pandemic, the anti-vaxxers, they are so dangerous that we have to do something about them. They cannot be around us. This is a natural, sadly, human feeling. And then when yeah. you've got two sides that are genuinely violent and armed, and then they can kill each other, and they have killed each other, then it gets it amplifies that even worse. That's even worse than the Trump supporters that you could point to one maybe um, terrible incident at a rally in Charlottesville where somebody was killed or during the pandemic when you can maybe think that because you're unvaccinated, you're going to kill my grandma. Right. There's these like thinking of you're dangerous, you're going to kill me. We didn't see mass, but we didn't see, you know, like to the level we see in Israel and Palestine. Thank goodness. It right. Got and there. So, yeah. Right. It, it, and so there's. The human human nature is this. The only solution that I could think of, you know, I, I've now become even myself more radical since my trip. Um, I came back still staunchly for a two-state solution, feeling like that that is the only way. These people don't want to live together, and 
both sides want their own countries. Let them have it. Two-state solution. That's what we need to be advocating for. I will say, though, that over the last four years, I have changed my stance on that. Recently, this was not something, I mean, really recently, within the month, I have now, I, I now firmly believe there should be no ethnostates. We cannot be supportive of ethnostates, that this is antithetical to our values. There are no, there's a misnote, there's a, a thinking out there that Arab nations are ethnostates. They are not. The only other ethnostates that are in existence besides Israel are like Malaysia. Uh, Belgium could maybe be considered an ethnostate. Um, they're, they're not common. They're, and there's none of them in the Middle East that are ethnostates except for Israel, meaning in their actual laws, they place a certain group above another and they say the rights of this group supersede the rights of another group. That is an ethnostate. It's not a majority of one group in that nation. We're a majority white Christian nation in America, but that doesn't make us an ethnostate. Um, because Iran, rights. Yeah, right. Uh, Iran does have like a religious a religious country, right, where they're predominantly Islam and they they promote and encourage Islam. But you don't have to. There's actually a large group of Jews in in uh, Iran. There's also Zoroasters in Iran. There's, you you know, it's Saudi Arabia. You can't have a Christian church. I mean, there's definitely some oppression going on in the Middle East. But we are a Western nation. We have decided to support this particular nation by giving them billions of dollars. And in doing that, you know, we should we should say we we don't agree with this idea that you could make a nation for one race. We already saw that happen. We didn't like it. We actually blew that place to bits because yeah. of it. Right. I think that was the last time we saw the level of civilian carnage was during that war. It was World War Two. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what the Israelis have figured out. It seems to be the only way to win a war. I mean, we've never won a war with targeted. I mean, again, I'm not advocating for any no, of this. Of course. But the reality is, is that we've done the targeted strikes. We've tried all of these various different methods and they genuinely don't result in anything. And maybe the Israelis look at World War II and they say, well, the only way to win is to nuke them or carpet bomb them because that's that seems to be. But then in the end, we didn't take Japan. We didn't take Germany. We didn't right. take their land. You know, we, we rebuilt the plan here. That is the plan here. Yeah. And, and I think that's what what concerns me most is that if that is the plan, then I think it's fair to describe it as ethnic cleansing, if not a genocide. And oh, for, well, it is a genocide. Genocide is not just the murdering of people, but it's also the expulsion of people from oh, that area. Okay. Because expulsion, that's that the actual included. definition. Yeah. So when people say you're not using the definition, no, the definition actually is the eradication of a group of people one way or another. So that is the, that's a genocide. So you're trying to eradicate the region of a group of people. You could exterminate them. You could expel them. Trail of Tears style. That's a genocide. Mm -hmm. So, and what we're seeing now is you've got a bunch of Palestinians with their arms up marching. Yep. And the Israelis are saying, look at how nice we are. Literally the spokesperson for Israel <laughs> said, look at how, how kind we are. We are helping them evacuate from a war zone into the South. And I'm like, okay, did you provide them beds? Like, where are they going to go sleep? You've expelled them from their homes. You're pushing them into Southern Gaza because you're wanting to keep the North for yourself. And you're going to blockade the North off and say it's for security reasons. No one can come back. That's going to be the way they do it. And you got all these Gazans, you've cut it now in half. And, um, and they're saying, oh, no, but it's kind of us to be doing this because we're getting them out of a war zone. But they're not providing them with blankets, beds, food, a place to live. They're going to be living in parking lots. They don't even have tents. 
Well, and let me add, once they get to the refugee camp, if there's one Hamas commander that, that visits someday, yeah. they could just blow the whole fucking place up. Right. So it's like, I mean, this is just so, it's so maddening. Um, but I, look, I, I, we intended to do 20 minutes. We did a full hour. I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I really, there's I really, too much to say about their, about being there. And it's, we could definitely go on for hours. There's so much that I haven't even covered about what I saw when I was over there and just even the identification system that the way who can travel where, you know, they make it like, like I said, Americans have more freedom of movement. And then Israelis have the next amount. Actually, the Jerusalemites have the Arab Jerusalemites have the second best amount of freedom of movement as long as and then then the Israelis and then they give the Palestinians in the West Bank limited. Even Americans, they figure out you're an American over there building Palestine. They'll let you have three years. That seemed to be the average. There's not like a number on it, but it seemed to be that the American Palestinians could get away with being there for three years with full freedom. And then at about three years in, Israel kind of says, now, why are you here? Right. And then the American says, I'm here to build Palestine. I'm a Palestinian. You know, I was born in America, but I'm a Palestinian and I'm here to build a hotel. And they say, ah, let, let me see your passport. And they take that passport and they stick a sticker in it. And now you've lost all of your freedom. You've wow. lost all of your freedom of movement. You cannot even visit your grandma in Jerusalem. Jesus. Yeah. And they do that uh, to Americans whose tax dollars are still funding it. Yeah, well, that, see that—that's what uh, you know. As an American, uh, that's what really, uh, amongst all of the human atrocity, that's what really pisses me off is that I'm fucking funding this disastrous scenario, right. and 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 that I have no say over it. Uh, it's just—it's just crazy. Um, but well, Tim I think we're making some change. I do think that the voices on social media. I think the pressure's on. This is the first time I've seen where. The pressure is really that Israel's losing the narrative war. And I think that it is causing them to have to, you know, there's a lot of pressure coming from American officials, even inside of Israel, where they're, they're maybe having to rethink their ethnic cleansing campaign. And they might, they, they're maybe having to slow it down. They might I be hope. forced into allowing the Gazans back in the north and rebuild. I mean, there's the pressure helps because that does create the change. So there might be a better outcome this time around with all of the outrage and with all of the pressure, the Gazans might be able to return to the North. Wow. Um, there might be an actual attempt again at a two state solution. There's these things may happen um, because of all the pressure. And I think that's, what's really important is that they're hearing it. They're, they're frightened by it. The Israelis are, they're like, Oh my gosh, this is the first time. And, you know, it's really telling that they then show other massacres around the world. And they're like, why aren't you caring about this one? Why don't you care about what's happening in Sudan? And I'm like, am I funding that? Right. Am I, is my government giving unwavering support to the massacre of these people? Like they are, and not only that, but are you now admitting you're doing that? You're, because <laughs> yeah, you're pointing at, you know? Exactly. You're like, you're like, we're not the only genocide that's happening right now. <laughs> right. So why, where's your outrage for the other genocides going on? Okay. What, what, a, what a fucking crazy defense. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, terrible. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. really appreciate the insight. Uh, you know, as someone who's never been there, I, I just really wanted to, you know, have a conversation about it so I could understand it from from your vantage point. And I think I understand your perspective a lot better now. And I hope my audience does as well. Uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Yeah. So you can watch my show Monday through Friday on Rumble, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. So I'm there every Monday through Friday. Um, and if, that's, if you just go to kimiversonshow.com. Perfect. You'll end up on that Rumble site. 
Perfect. And uh, the second half of this show will only be on Rumble because if I were to put up the, the second half on YouTube, I'm pretty sure it would get uh, struck. So that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, but uh, I appreciate your time again. If anybody wants to support my work at Liberty Lockpot on Twitter, if you subscribe, I'll follow you back. And uh, LibertyLockdown.locals.com. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?